Oh, great to be with you this morning. I don't know if there's any better place uh, to be than uh, when it's sunny outside in Vancouver than the Japanese hall on a Sunday morning when Jenny Benet is singing. Uh, I just can't think of many better places to be, so uh, I hope you're feeling the same, and uh, I welcome you. Some new faces in the room. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for those online, what camera am I looking at? This one or that one? Wherever you're at. Let's get a little close up here for the online people. Hey guys, how's it going? Scott here. Yeah, all right, that's enough of that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, special hello to the kids and the youth uh, joining us in the room. Um, I'm curious, kids, if there's something that I say today that you have thoughts about or questions about and would love to hear it later. So um, you're not required to listen to me, but if you do and you have some interesting ideas, I would love to hear them. So please let me know. Find me afterward. Um, and also, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you today, this weekend. Um, Thanksgiving and our family is uh, a bit of a butt of a joke. Um, my first words to Aben, my wife, one of, one of the first full sentences I ever spoke to her was, uh, Thanksgiving in Canada is a low priority. <laughs> so you're going to see where the, just how love flourished after that. And obviously, we're married. Um, but uh, if you don't believe in God, then that's, there's a reason to believe in a higher power. Um, and I just want to acknowledge, too, that next week we're going to have more opportunity to express some gratitude. Uh, it is Artisan Church's 12th birthday, and we're going to uh, celebrate that with some sharing of gratitude. Um, we will not be eating cake or cupcakes, as is tradition uh, just stupid COVID, right? Uh, so we've we've tried to eliminate some of those touch points, but we are going to have more opportunities to celebrate and, and be grateful. And uh, I just wanted to ask you: We're in uh, into one one uh, month now, or just over of a series on formation. Um, and how's it going? How are you? How are you feeling, or how are you liking it? Um, I know for me, it's caused me to think deeply about this topic. Uh, I remember when Nelson was sharing on September 12th, kind of introducing this idea of the deeply formed life. I just found my, my spirit saying, yes, I want to submit to this work. Um, and to be honest, I haven't followed all of the practices. I had good intent to. You know, Nelson talked about centering prayer and um, Lectio Divina and wanting to try those things. Haven't tried all of them, haven't done all of them faithfully, but uh, I still feel deeply connected to this work and want to, and want to say to you, even if you're just joining today, it's not too late to dive in. Um, and uh, the truth is, and I think what has been said over and over again about formation is that so many things form us, so many things shape us into our own or his own. Um, we are constantly being shaped, molded by multiple forces, good and bad. Uh, Rich Villadas talks about some of these forces 
we are formed by our false selves, our families of origin, the highly manipulated presentations of social media, and the value system of a world that determines worth based on accomplishments, possessions, efficiency, um, intellectual acumen, and gifts. So we need to be regularly called back to the essence of our lives in God. That essence is one of ongoing transformation. That is Christ being formed in us. Um, the Apostle Paul, who was a serial church planter and wrote most of the New Testament, he urged one of the new churches, uh, one of these new church plant plants in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. He said to them, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It sounds pretty intense. My own paraphrase is, I really, really want you to become more like Jesus. I really, really want you to become more like Jesus. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I've been feeling the uh, pressure and the challenge of this in a city that is shaped by so many systems, so many forces, so many value systems, um, to name a few, individualism, consumerism, uh, and even division. And the problem is, I think that Rich Villadas is, is true in saying, instead of being deeply formed, we settle for being shallowly shaped. And so as part of our journey into deep formation, we've been uh, looking at these five key areas. Contemplative rhythms for an exhausted life. Racial reconciliation for a divided time. Interior examination for world living on the surface. Sexual wholeness for a culture that splits bodies from souls. And missional presence for a distracted and disengaged people. And today I'm going to continue part two of the topic of racial reconciliation in a divided world. And first, just have to say, uh, Kathy, she's not here, I don't think, but if you're watching, what a gift you brought us last week. And not like, yay, a present, but uh, a thoughtful, helpful, hopeful, loving challenge. Um, and uh, uh, just really appreciate it and commend her uh, sermon to you last week. It's on uh, online. Uh, gently guiding us through a history of racism in our city. And um, I don't know about you, I was, I was surprised to learn a few things. Like uh, last year, more anti-Asian hate crimes were reported to police in Vancouver than in the top 10 most populous U.S. cities combined. Which is just crazy to think. Natalie Pearson said uh, COVID-19 was the trigger, talking about this. Uh, anti-Asian hate, but the resentment has been building for decades, and Kathy kind of charted that history for us. Um, she also took us through and, and reminded us of the number of unmarked graves uh, for Indigenous children in residential school sites. Uh, last time I looked, as of September 30th, uh, there have been 1,874 unmarked graves discovered. 
a reminder of a history of deep racial injustice toward indigenous peoples in this country. And uh, if I'm honest, I feel a little bit helpless and out of my depth being up here holding a microphone uh, saying I'm going to talk to you about racial injustice. Um, when Nelson, who organizes our preaching team, asked me uh, if I would like to take this sermon on racial reconciliation, I looked him in the eyes and I humbly and politely declined. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Uh, because it's, there's so much in here, and I feel fearful, uh, I feel unqualified, I feel a bit like an imposter uh, standing up here. Not Like, I don't have a lot to say. I'm not well-studied on the topic or well-read. I have a limited view. Uh, and I also, at the same time, feel hopeful uh, that as we look at this uh, topic, that we can move to some good places as a community, but as, as a world, I'm hopeful. I'm also very, very grateful that I'm not carrying this alone. These aren't Scott McTaggart's words. And actually, if there's one thing you remember from today's sermon, it's go and listen to Kathy's sermon. That's the one thing I want you to remember from today's sermon. Um, I'm also leaning heavily on this book, the one that we've been following, specifically the chapters on racial reconciliation written by this guy, Rich Villadas. And yeah, doesn't he look nice and friendly? He does. He's, he's not just a nice guy, though. He, this is a person and a voice of experience. He uh, pastors a large church in Queens, New York. More than 75 countries represented in his congregation. Um, and he has experience in dealing with, uh, with uh, this topic of racial reconciliation specifically. Uh, he's a living example of what it means to follow Jesus in divided communities. So I really, really appreciate uh, this guy's voice. Um, I'm also leaning heavily on this book. Might be familiar to you. And also deeply uh, depending on this, which is the first thing that came up in a Google image search for the Spirit of God. So with that in mind, let's pray. God, we need your help. Um, there's no perfect way to talk about these things. There's no perfect sermon. Uh, only you are perfect. So we look to you. Our, our focus, our gaze is on you. Uh, I pray already and I ask forgiveness for anything that I say that causes offense or harm that is not my intent. And Lord, I pray that you would be gracious to me, be gracious to us in this room, those that are listening online. Yes, come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to look at another photo here. Uh, this is from one year ago this week, actually. Uh, the provincial leaders gathered uh, for a debate at UBC. It was just after four months uh, after George Floyd's death. So it made sense that the three leaders were asked a question about racial reconciliation um, and specifically how they would reckon with their own white privilege. I don't know if you watched or remembered this, um, 
part of John Horgan, our current premier's response was he said that he didn't see color. Um, this is obviously not all of what he said, but part of his response that really sparked an avalanche of feedback online and in the media was uh, he didn't see color. Kind of a, a collective. And later he apologized saying this. Um, saying I don't see color causes pain and makes people feel unseen. He wrote, I'm sorry, I'll never fully understand as a white person the lived reality of systemic racism. I'm listening, learning, and I'll keep working every day to do better. Uh, so I want to just ask a really simple question. What is wrong with a statement like this? Why, why is it wrong to say I don't see color? Uh, isn't that a good thing? Isn't it like the opposite of racism? If racism is discriminating based on the basis of language, culture, ethnicity, skin color, if you say don't see color, isn't that like the opposite? That's a good thing? Well, I think it's problematic, and I think it's problematic from a theological perspective that we know from the biblical narrative and from creation that God is not colorblind. He created and celebrates all the color. Uh, Rich Villadas, again, color blindness is not the MO of heaven. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. God sees all the color. Rich yeah, and yes, we're on a first-name basis now. Rich is referring to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And uh, I, I find it interesting, if you go all the way to the very beginning of the Bible, there's more evidence for this line of thought that according to the creation count in Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 to 27 specifically, we are all made in God's image. Uh, so there it is, open and closed case. We can all go, right? We're good? <laughs> you're looking at me funny. Um, well, I think the reason you're looking at me funny is because, of course not. There's still injustice. There's still racism. Um, why do we need a sermon? Why do we need two on racial reconciliation? Well, uh, I don't know if you've read the news lately. We're not doing so hot. And uh, again, from my limited experience and my limited perspective, it's like we've lost the ability to interact with difference. And uh, this concept was a new one for me uh, called filter bubble. Have you heard of this? F uh, what a filter bubble is? It's a term coined by an internet activist. Yes, that's a thing internet activist named Eli Pariser. And what a filter bubble is, you could probably guess, but a state of intellectual isolation that can result from personalized searches when a website algorithm selectively guesses what information a user would like to see based on information about the user, such as location, past click behavior, and search history. So now, does that make a bit more sense what the filter bubble is? Um, we see this in our Facebook feeds, if you're on Facebook, where tailored ads and even 
some of your comments that your friends make are, are tailored directly to you based on your click history. Um, I found this really interesting. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, the, the CEO of Facebook, um, a reporter asked him, so why is the, the news feed feature on Facebook, why is it so important? And he replied, a squirrel dying in the front, in front of your house may be more relevant to your interests right now than people dying in Africa. Huh. See, this is what the filter bubble does. Intentionally or unintentionally, we're surrounding ourselves with ideas, interests, politics that reinforce our current behavior. And instead of the illusion of connecting us, uh, it's isolating us, separating us, dividing us. And I'm sad to say this is not just an internet problem. We are becoming more and more distanced from people uh, that are different than us. So I would suggest that we need to aggressively find ways to pop the bubble. Uh, and I think there's some really good wisdom from Paul's letter to the Philippians. I want to read it uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. I'm reading from the New International Version. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think embedded in this, and Rich Villadas talks about this in his book, is this uh, a pattern that we see in Jesus. Uh, he left his world, his place of comfort, the familiarity, uh, took a huge risk and stepped out toward us. He entered our world, and not only entered our world, but he allowed himself to be formed by our world and shaped by our world. He became like us, even. Humbled himself to death in our world. And not just death, but a criminal's execution. And yet, he managed to maintain divinity and was fully God, fully human. But I, I can't help think that there's maybe something here for us, especially in the topic of racial reconciliation. Uh, it says... In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Talking specifically about our relationships with people to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Leave your world, enter into someone else's, allow yourself to be formed by them. Rich Villadas again, it's, it's one thing, he says, to be in close proximity to someone who looks thinks or even eats differently than you. 
It's another to be in deep relationship with that person and still another to work for a world that is Christ's kingdom in which our differences are not placed on a hierarchy that regards some as superior and others as inferior. Um, I was hesitant to tell this story, but I think it's helpful. And so I ask for grace. I haven't written out the exact words, um, but I wanted to tell the story of an incident that happened in our neighborhood. And uh, we, our family lives in the city, and uh, we don't have uh, a big yard or places to put things like basketball hoops. And um, the neighborhood church actually don't, not donated, but they were done with this old rickety basketball hoop, and we now use it as our basketball hoop. It's in the back alley behind our house, and we've come, we've come to love playing on it, and uh, neighborhood kids come and use it. See, even some adults come and like will shoot hoops on our little neighborhood uh, back alley basketball hoop. And uh, it seemed like such a good thing. It was kind of bringing people together. And uh, one neighbor uh, who kind of opposite of the alleyway lived on the upper floor of a house uh, kind of would roam around watching um, as we played basketball. And I noticed it wasn't a joyful uh, observing. It wasn't, he wasn't enjoying it. He was kind of scowling. I could see his eyes were angry or irritated or something. And uh, we had a few run-ins where he, he shouted things from the deck, uh, getting the kids to go away, saying they're not allowed to play basketball in the alley. And then I kind of, from my place over on our house on the steps, kind of looking out and I think maybe even scowling back, but just this kind of confrontation occurred. And it came to the point where he, he would shout things and make the kids feel uncomfortable. And um, it wasn't great. It wasn't good. And uh, it wasn't till I stepped uh, out of my world, quote unquote, um, that I actually got to know him. And uh, I think first I was annoyed, if I'm honest. I was uh, I was disappointed that he was trying to shoo out the kids. Like, no, this is a great thing. We ended up having to call the police one time because there was a, an interaction with one of the kids that wasn't appropriate. And finally had a chat. And I realized after coming to him and having a conversation, I, I learned his name. I learned his background. Uh, that he wasn't from uh, Canada originally, but raised in Canada, spoke a little bit of broken English, but could barely understand me. And he, he spoke way more English than I spoke his language. I learned that he is a doctor and that he actually has a heart, has a heart condition that caused him to be irritated by the noise. And so his scowls and his, his reaction was because of something that was happening that no one really knew about. And it wasn't until we had that conversation, until we took some time to get to know William, that we knew. And it turns out he loves pastors. As soon as I told him I'm a pastor, every, like, oh, hugs and like, oh, I don't know what it was about that. Usually in Vancouver, it's the opposite response where I'm like, I'm a pastor, and they're like, why? What is that? Um, 
I say that I say that uh, story because I think it's an example of maybe some bad habits that were kind of innate in me that I hadn't really addressed. Uh, and so I, I found this really interesting. Professor Eddie Glaude said that everyone possesses racial habits, often without even realizing it. Habits in general predispose us to see our world in particular ways, and often we consider them helpful things. Not only do these habits shape how we interact with people of different racial backgrounds, they also guide how we think about and value groups collectively. I'm interested in this idea of racial habits. And um, Rich Villadas, in his book, I commend the book to you, he provides seven uh, habits. Uh, uh, and I'm going to just touch on a few of them. And I want to say, too, before we go through these, um, when you see habit, you could also read practice. Uh, but I like the word habit because it seems like a bit harder. There's some more, more work to be done. So the first one I'll mention is the habit of self-examination. One of the ways that we dishonor the image of God in others is by not doing the hard work of examining the assumptions and biases we hold against others. I love this quote by Anne Lamott. You can safely assume you're, you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Yeah. Or as uh, J.T. Thomas defines racism, hatred of the image of God in another person. This is why we pass the peace in our gathering, too. We look at people in their eyes, and we acknowledge, affirm, and bless the image of God in them. So maybe you've taken it lightly and used passing the peace to catch up with someone, but it's also a time, the scripture says, before you bring your offerings to, uh, to the Lord to reconcile with your brother or sister. And the passing of the peace is that opportunity to go to someone, to look at them. Peace be with you. Um, speaking of uh, Jonathan Tremaine Thomas, um, uh, I have a great podcast re recommendation. I know there's probably hundreds in this room, but really interesting look at the spiritual realities behind racism, trauma, and true peacemaking. Uh, it's called Live No Lies. John Mark Comer is the host, and episode two with Jonathan Tremaine Thomas. Incidentally, episode three is our boy Rich Villadas. So that was kind of a cool connection. And um, yeah. Definitely check it out. Um, uh, all this to say, you may not have racist motives, but what are those subconscious biases that you hold, that we hold? What are our racial habits? And so Rich Villadas, he outlines a few questions to help us to identify any subconscious bias that we may hold. And we're gonna, I'm going to ask these right now. The point is not to shame or to point fingers it's simply just to sit with these questions and to notice if there's any discomfort. And uh, spoiler alert, if you feel uncomfortable, it's okay. So I'm going to ask these six questions. You're not going to answer them out loud, just to, just to think about them, to sit with them, see what it brings up in you. Number one, 
Is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race that you don't trust? Why? Number two, is there any particular people, ethnicity, or race that you or your child cannot marry? Why? Number three, what types of people cause you to cross the street if you're walking alone? Why? Number four, what, if anything, happens inside you when you see interracial couples? Why? Number five, when was the last time you visited the residence of someone from a different culture or race or invited the person to your residence? And number six, what type of person would you most trust to invest or steward your money? Why? Again, not to make you uh, feel ashamed or to point a finger. Um, the purpose is to acknowledge that when we honestly respond to questions like this, we see perhaps some of the internal scripts and the messages that are deeply embedded in us. Um, I encourage you, again, you could get the book. I'll, I could copy you some of these questions if you want to sit with them and reflect longer. We'll move on to our next practice, the habit of incarnational listening. The habit of incarnational listening. Again, to follow Jesus' example, Philippians 2, leave your world. Enter into someone else's world. Allow yourself to be formed by them. And in other words, instead of assuming you know why someone is the way they are, whether it's a back alley basketball conflict or uh, some other conflict, take the time to listen and understand. How are ways, what are ways you can practice incarnational listening this week? Maybe it's popping that filter bubble finding some other news sources or people to listen to that aren't reinforcing those views over and over again. The next practice is the habit of lament. Uh, theology professor Sung Chan Ra says, lament recognizes the struggles of life and cries out for justice against existing injustices. We just spent time uh, as a church community earlier this year in the Psalms, um, using the Psalms as a way to teach us to pray. And uh, interesting to note that over one-third of the Psalms are laments. Paul says often to weep 
with those who weep or to mourn with those who mourn. I remember as we were discovering and hearing the news of these unmarked indigenous graves come out across the country, there's just a roll of grief setting in a sadness. There was a, it's a really dark, a darkness. And I remember feeling like, what are we, we going to do? What are we going to do about this? This is an injustice. We have to act. And uh, a, a really great, wise woman, Cheryl Bear, who's a pastor in the neighborhood, um, she's an indigenous minister at First, U, uh, First United Church in Vancouver. She would get this question a lot. Cheryl, what do we do? Help us. And she would often say, just grieve with us. Just grieve with us. I think that's really wise. And finally, I just want to mention the habit, this last habit of reconciling prayer. I know revolutionary to talk about prayer in a church. Um, but we can so easily fall into the trap of functional atheism, uh, a phrase, I think, uh, from Parker Palmer. Uh, we say we're actually Christian, but in the day-to-day -day function of our lives, we look and act more like atheists, functional atheism. Uh, Martin Luther uh, Jr. King's wife, Coretta, she wrote an article during the civil rights movement talking about how it was undergirded by prayer. I loved reading these words this week. Uh, Coretta Scott King, she said, prayer was a wellspring of strength and inspiration during the civil rights movement. Throughout the movement, we prayed for greater human understanding. We prayed for the safety of our compatriots in the freedom struggle. We prayed for victory in our nonviolent protests, for brotherhood and sisterhood, among people of all races for reconciliation and the fulfillment of the beloved community. I love this and think it's a, I think it's also a great reminder for me to connect activism, uh, to connect prayer rather, to activism. Not to get too uh, hasty or uh, run out and just, what am I going to do? I, I think those motives are good, but to undergird it in prayer. Not just talk about it, but actually pray. And I can't say that without uh, feeling like the need to practice this right now. And so I want to lead us just in a moment uh, of uh, this prayer. It's a prayer for racial reconciliation. And it was written by Rich Villadas for his church community. And I want to encourage us as we pray these words, you can either close your eyes and pray them or listen to me pray them. You can read along on the screen, but when it says our country or this country, um, Rich Villadas is referring to the USA, but I want to invite us to pray this for Canada today. Um, so would you join me in this prayer for reconciliation? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your kingdom is good news for a world caught in racial hostility. We ask that you give us grace for the deep challenges our country faces. We confess our anger, our deep sadness, and our collective sense of weakness to see this world healed through our own strength. 
we honestly confess that our country has a long history of racial oppression, that racism has been a strategy of evil powers and principalities infected by structural sin. We confess that the gospel is good news for the oppressed and the oppressor. Both are raised up, both are liberated, but in different ways. The oppressed are raised up from the harsh burden of inferiority, the oppressor from the destructive illusion of superiority. We confess that the gospel is your power to form a new people not identified by dominance and superiority, but by unity in the spirit. We ask that you help us name our part in this country's story of racial oppression and hostility, whether we have sinned against others by seeing them as inferior or have been silent in the face of evil. Forgive us of our sin. We pray for our enemies, for those who have allowed satanic powers to work through them. Grant them deliverance through your mighty power. We ask that you form us to be peacemakers. May we be people who speak the truth in love as we work for a reconciled world. Lord, we commit our lives to you, believing that you are working in the world in spite of destructive powers and principalities. Bring healing to those who are hurt, peace to those who are anxious, and love to those who are fearful. We wait for you, Lord. Make haste to help us. Oh, Lord, only you can make all things new. Amen. Amen.